Welcome to Spill the Tea, the podcast where we speak with guests about aspects of LGBTQ plus culture and provoke our thinking about the degrees of equity, equality of opportunity, and the oppression experienced by this community. I'm your new host, Joe Blomfield, from the University of Greenwich, and I'm your stereotypical gay Gen Z that spends far too much time on Twitter, and I'm obsessed with the naughty pop sensation, the sugar Bates. Our guest for today's podcast is Dan Harry. Dan grew up in North Lanarkshire in Scotland, has a degree in journalism from Glasgow Caledonian University, and began his career working in PR. However, Dan is also known for being one of 16 people to be featured in the UK's first queer dating show, BBC's I Kissed a Boy, which was released earlier this year. Since the show, Dan has used his platform to campaign for LGBTQ rights and has partnered with some fantastic charities such as Stonewall, Terence Higgins Trust and the Transgender Clinic, as well as sharing some personal stories about his own experiences and journey of navigating life as a queer person. So welcome to the podcast, Dan. Just to check, is there anything you want to add to introduce yourself to Spill the Tea? Hey, Joe. Do you know, I don't think I've got anything to add. I think you kind of, I think you nailed it. Excellent. You got it. Good to know, Perfect. good to know. Um, although I do want to say, I love that you're a sugar, sugar babes fan. She's, Absolutely. Like, they're my, they're my, like, I'm obsessed with them. I think I've seen them three times in the past, like, year and a half, and it's... Yeah. I, lo- I feel like they're having, like, a real resurgence right now, and I'm just, yeah, I'm really loving for it. I feel like it's now the, the blueprint for a comeback. Like, yes. they've come back with such a vengeance, yeah. and... I am slightly obsessed. So let's kick off, uh, and I guess let's jump into talking about I Kissed a Boy, obviously, uh, which aired earlier this year on BBC Three. And I guess just what was that experience like? I guess is the sort of yeah. Do you know what? Like the experience itself was it. Well, it became something really incredible and something I'm so proud to be a part of. I remember when I first like I was the first approached to take part in the show. I already had like a really well established career in PR kind of it was very much happy in my life I wasn't like seeking anything I wasn't seeking going on TV or anything like that I hadn't done any other TV before and they had to kind of really really sell it to me because I was so I was like what is this like it's a brand new thing like you know I was just quite Mm -hmm. cynical about it but being a part of it and then seeing it come to life I felt really sort of privileged to be a part of it Mm -hmm. because it is such an iconic thing for our community mm. and the things that people have said to me ever since I took part in, it, part in it are just amazing. People are so sweet and so... Yeah, it's just made such an impact. Um, but for me, during that time, I mean, I was just... I was just trying to... I think I, I'm quite... I'm someone who's quite protective over how I come across and things that I say and the way people perceive me, I guess, just coming from PR. So... I guess the whole time I was in there, I wasn't necessarily like relaxing and just like mm. going with the flow. I was kind of always thinking, "Oh God, like did that? Did I do the right thing? Did I not?" I was always kind of second guessing myself. So I think yeah. at the time I wasn't necessarily enjoying every minute of it, but I look back on it now really fondly of like of, of what I did, what I, what like what I was a part of, and yeah. And how long were you actually filming for? Because obviously we only saw eight hours. Yeah, oh my god, I know. You saw basically nothing, which is like so wild to think. We were filming for about three weeks around that. But before we started filming, I was in isolation for 10, 11 days, locked in hotel room (laughs) for 11 days. Yikes, that was. So I remember actually, I was like calling all my friends and I was like, I feel like I'm going to forget how to like be a human being by the time (laughs) I actually go in there. Like, what do I say? Like, how do I even. How do I flirt? <laughs> you know, Excellent. just the the panic before going in. Yeah, which is I think why I went in there guns blazing, and then like yeah. had like a real like impact when I first walked in because I was so ready to actually be around other people because it had been so long yeah. and not been around people. I was gonna say it's what everyone says when they filmed season three of Drag Race. It's just you walk in, you're like, there are other people. Like, Literally, yeah. Let's do this. Totally. Um, and obviously you just said you were approached to be on the season. Mm. What was that like how did they approach you before like what was that process of getting cast before you even stepped foot yeah yeah well so basically how it works is they just DM like you get there's various casting producers out there and they are just trolling through Instagram looking at anyone who might fit the the criteria of what they're looking for so I got approached by someone called Sam Sam King who I absolutely love so much he's amazing um, and he just DM'd me and he was like, look, what do you think about this? I said, I'm not interested. He said, 
I think you just need to hear me out on it. So we had a few phone calls about it. We had a Zoom call and he was very much like, look, you, this is like something that, he was like, I hear you, I know, I understand who you are and what you're worried about. I promise you, you don't want to be worried about this thing. Maybe if it was something else, Mm -hmm. yes, I would probably start to direct you away. But for this project, it was like, this is like your kind of thing. So basically we did various Zoom calls, whatever, the way it works is do all that with the casting. Then it gets sent to like the exec team. They start to kind of filter through and then you just go through each stage. So like then the next stage was like a psych test. So you go and meet a psych like a psychotherapist mm. and then they ask you like a million questions about how you were brought up. Like, what was your mum and dad like? What's your relationship like with your family? What what traumatic moments have you been through in your life? Like all that kind of stuff. Wow. And you have to like really like go back into yeah. your life and think about all these things and you're having that meeting for a long time. Then you, I mean, you have to do loads of STD tests as well, lots of like, medical, sexual health tests, um, and yeah, just like, loads of different means until eventually, I think maybe like two weeks before I was set to fly out, they told me, like, you're coming, like you're on, you're wow. you've been casted. So at that point, I was like, oh god, I need to like find all these outfits. That was like, <laughs> like that was that was my main stress. To be honest, yeah. I wasn't like, well, how am I going to do this on TV? I was thinking, what am I going to wear? Yeah, no, absolutely. That'd be a panic, to be honest. So you found out two weeks before you flew out. Mm-hmm. Which and everyone else knew for months prior. Like they were, they had been going through the process for months. It, this all happened for me, literally from start to finish, from hearing about the show to going on the show, a month. Wow. Yeah. That is an absolute whirlwind. It is crazy. And the only reason I actually could do it is because I was just, by coincidence, leaving my previous job at the time in PR. I so I just, by sheer coincidence, had a, a month free in my schedule, <laughs> which was the reason why I was like, this is too, like, yeah. this is lined up too well. Like, I think it, it's, it means that I'm meant to do it. So. And did you sort of have to, like, after casting or after you got back from filming, did you have to keep it quiet? Like... I mean, yeah, I was bit too. <laughs> I feel like I did talk to a lot of people about it, to be fair. But, well, I say that. I shared it with my friends. And obviously, right off the bat of coming off the show, I was in a relationship. Mm. Well, I wasn't in a relationship, but I was with someone. So there was a lot. There, were, there was people that I wanted to meet, Ollie, yeah. you know. So um, there was definitely people who I did share it with. But overall, like you, it's supposed to be a big secret. So, like, the boys we couldn't really like hang out together or post about being together or yeah it was all kind of on the DL for a long time actually because we filmed it in September of last year and then it came out came out in um, May so wow. like eight months or something like that yeah that's long yeah so then obviously then when you are in the Masseria the gag I think everyone was obsessed with is Danny No. Uh-huh. what was she like? you know Danny it's so typical to just say like oh like she was fab she was this she was that she was an icon she was that for sure I feel like I really got much more of a sort of personal energy from her like she Mm. really deeply cared she knew everything that was happening in the Masseria at all times she had her her own live feed of what was going on like in the house so she knew wow she was really invested her whole team were invested her makeup artist her hairstylist, her stylist, her manager, they were all very much like, they would come to set every day and be so excited to find out what had happened that like the night before or or whatever. And I remember actually, I was pulled out of the Masseria one day to have like a one-on-one date with Danny. Love. Which was cut from the final edit. Um, but we basically had a really nice moment where we spoke about her history being an, her being a gay icon, how, how she became a gay icon. She talked a lot about how when she performed in Heaven like decades ago, she was like slated in the press because people were assuming that that was like her coming out as mm. gay or whatever it might be. And it was at a time where no artist was doing that. So she really put her kind of like head on the chopping block there. But she did it because she just wanted to be there for yeah. her community. So we spoke about that and... I really appreciated that from her and um, yeah she's been like a real ally for our community for a long time and you could mm. really feel that in her like the way she approached the show she was even like on the final day of the commitment ceremony um, when she was like in white and it was like the whole wedding day thing cringe she was like crying that morning because she was so emotional because she was so eager to get it right she was really yeah. worried she was going to like screw up because she had like the boys there who obviously had these relationships 
the families, like she was really emotional about making it all making it all happen in the way it was supposed to. I think as a viewer as well, like you could tell that. Like I remember watching it being like she is having the best time. Like Yeah. Yeah, all I mean, of course, because she was like we were all like first of all, we were all like like totally the cheerleading her the whole time. Like, anytime we saw her, we'd be like, Oh my god, Dan, you look amazing, you look so she good. She did look phenomenal. Yeah, she looked unreal. Every single She looks even better in person, honestly she does. Like yeah. she looks unreal. But we would always hype her up and um yeah, she was fab. Incredible. And I guess this is following the last few years. Queer representation in TV is really sort of booming, I would say, sort of particularly in British TV. So we've obviously got Drag Race UK, Heartstopper. There's a lot of just queer people in reality TV. So there's sort of Hallie, Matty, Jordan, Henry, Jenkin, I think is everyone currently in Big Brother. It's all of them. Uh, Or there's Ella and Married Sight. There's sort of queer people behind really massive TV shows like Doctor Who at the moment. And then obviously there is the future season of I Kissed a Girl as well. So why do you think sort of queer representation is so important in TV and I guess film and throughout media? I think that kind of queer representation is so, so important now more than ever because we are seeing like our representation really being targeted in other areas of the media. So with our political leaders right now and the headlines and other kind of like less accepting parts of of the media like we're not seeing those faces and voices being heard and stories being told or if we are they're being told in the completely opposite way of how we would like so it's really important that we have those voices there to actually speak for our our community because people are trying to speak for us and that can't happen because they are not getting it right you know yeah absolutely so like all those people you mentioned Ella Hallie, those those kind of like voices in mainstream media, like I'm just so grateful that they are there because they are such positive representation for the community. Absolutely. And I am a big Big Brother fan. So Hallie's sort of coming out on that second episode was so impactful. And I think particularly the way trans people are talked about at the moment, having a trans person being viewed by millions of people and just in a really human way, I think was so important. And just the way the entire house reacted was really nice to see as well. Um, yeah, I completely agree. I remember one conversation that happened after Hallie left, and it was between Jenkins and Chanel, I think, where they mm-hmm. said, like, they were basically denying the idea that Hallie might have been voted out because of her trans trans identity. Yeah. And I was very confused by that, because to me, like, obviously that was a, a factor, yeah. if not a major factor, in her being evicted from the house. Because there are so many bigots out there, absolutely. especially on on main, on primetime mainstream TV. So I absolutely believe that that was a factor in Halle being Absolutely. Affected. And especially because I know that the moment that second episode came out, the amount of people on Twitter which were tweeting saying, we need to get Halle out because she's trans. The, the idea that that couldn't have been a factor for me was baffling. Um, 100%. But I guess just to, to round off uh, the I Kissed a Boy section is, obviously that has been just... Just over, just under six months since the oh God, season aired. That's wild. How has life been since? Like, I guess it must have been uh, a difference. I know I was at Hoopla this year and seeing a lot of the different people from the cast were just getting swarmed constantly. Yeah. Uh, people asking for pictures, people asking just to talk to them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what has your, what has your life been like over the past six months? My life has really changed quite drastically, actually. I... I don't think I necessarily expected it to change to such a level. Mighty Hoopla last year was the most surreal experience of my life. I remember arriving there with all of my friends and Ollie, and I was there just thinking, oblivious, they are just have a good time, have a dance, see the people I wanted to see. And I quickly realised like that wasn't how it was going to go down. It was going to be a case of meeting people constantly all day and night. There was no, at any given time, there was people around us wanting to want to chat, which, by the way, was absolutely lovely. It was so nice, but it was just not, not what I expected. And then I went back the next day and I was like, right, okay, I'm ready now to, like, just, like, do the whole thing and meet everyone. So that was, like, a real, like, thrown, that was, like, a baptism of fire. And then since then, I, yeah, like, I guess my life has just changed because I'm now able to do things that I've always wanted to do but never had the platform to do so since being on the show I've now tried to 
use my platform to do lots of positive stuff for my community because I have this background in PR. I have a platform now. I want to do something good with it. So I guess I'm like proud of what I've done since the show for that reason. Yeah, amazing. And I know one of the sort of big things you've been involved with since the show is sort of the, the relationship and partnership you, you have with Terence Higgins Trust. And for listeners who may not know, the Terence Higgins Trust is the UK's leading HIV and sexual health charity that supports people living with HIV and help people achieve good sexual health. And I guess my first question here is, how did you first get involved with the Terence Higgins Trust? Well, basically, I first got involved with them because they invited all of the boys from the show to come and work with them in, at London Pride. So I'd obviously been aware of Terence Higgins Trust for a long time previous to that. So I was very honoured that they had asked me to do that. Um, so that was kind of how the relationship started. But ever since then, I was very just like, I felt really compelled to just continue working with them and continue supporting them in any way that I could. And that was why I started speaking out about the vaccine trial that I am taking part in, which I had been involved in actually prior to even filming the show. That had been quite a long process, but I had never spoken about it before and also doing other fundraising work. So, for example, with Terence Higgins Trust, I took part in their big shave-off event where basically I raised money by shaving off all my hair on my chest, which seems quite random, but apparently it works. So (laughs) If it works, it works. So I was on stage at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern, literally with a drag queen, like, singing a song and me just like getting my chest shaved which is very bizarre no, is a surreal and, I, and everyone cheating and, and I, was just, I was like this is is this my life right now <laughs> um, but it was all for a really good cause so I've basically yeah. been able to do lots of fun stuff with Terence Higgins Trust as a charity that I really really admire amazing and one of the things you were just talking about is the the vaccine trials and that's a big reason of why we sort of wanted to get you on Spill the Tea today is to talk about the sort of world first HIV vaccine trial, um, which obviously if successful could help to eradicate transmissions. So can you tell us just a bit more about the trials, what is sort of involved with it, how long it is? Yeah, so the reason that I even got involved in the trial is basically maybe about a year ago, or maybe even longer actually, yeah it'd be longer because it was before I ever went on the show, a long time ago, before I ever filmed <laughs> the show, I one of my mates had done phase one of this HIV vaccine trial so I didn't really know anything about it and he told me I was like wow that seems really amazing I'd love to be a part of it so he put me in touch with the hospital and from there I started doing some tests and different sort of like criteria like processes with them to see if I was eligible to take part because you need to be a certain level of health and you need to represent a certain like basically basically just boxes you have to tick if you are able to be one of the volunteers so I applied to do that, maybe, I think maybe four or five months later, by which point I had filmed the show, they then got back in touch and they said, okay, can you come in and we'd like to start, like, start the process. So I went back in there and from that point onwards, I've basically been doing kind of around weekly I mean it's kind of sporadic but when it's when it's at a point of like a really important point of the trial I'm doing I'm in there maybe every couple of days or maybe twice in one week or whatever it might be it kind of kind of varies but it's a year-long trial and over that course of a year you're given three doses of this vaccine which essentially creates a what it is is a genetically engineered replica of HIV which you're I'm put, taken into my body with the hope that that would prevent me from ever contracting HIV as a HIV negative person. So it's we're still obviously at the trial stage na- naturally. I am one of five volunteers taking part. Wow. It's been a it's been I think maybe 20 25 years in the making of this specific vaccine. So it's at a really really crucial stage at the point of human trials. Mm. So we'll know by 2025 if it is successful. Hope, fingers crossed that it is. Um, But at this point, right now, I am kind of on a, like a hiatus from the trial because I've had the first two doses and then they wait four or five months to give you your final dose. Right. So I get my final dose in January. And then from that point, they'll continue to do tests on me to see how my body reacts. 
um, and also they've got loads of my blood so they use different tests on my blood as well which by the way I absolutely hate the part of giving blood I hate yeah. it with passion there's only one doctor in the hospital that I let do the blood <laughs> because he just really looks after me and he knows that I'm like a diva about it so but the whole team they are, are so amazing so knowledgeable they know everything there is to know about HIV about the trial they, the reason why I actually started speaking out about it publicly was because when I went in there for one of my appointments the show had just finished airing and immediately the, the, the nurses were like oh my god like can we get a selfie with you <laughs> and I was like I mean sure like if you want and from that point onwards it became a conversation around raising, raising awareness for the trial and I wanted to really shine a spotlight on the amazing work that these doctors and nurses mm-hmm. are doing. So that was how that kind of came about, and now I am almost like a spokesperson for this trial, which never was that never was a, what's what was supposed to happen. Um, like I said, I went on board to do the trial before I ever filmed the show, so there was never any correlation there. But it just worked out really nicely that I'm able to bring awareness to this, you know. Absolutely, and it's definitely just incredible to hear like the idea that within the next two years we might have that vaccine that can then yeah or a set or at least have a real breakthrough yeah. you know which um, is major especially for people within the LGBT community but also those that aren't in the LGBT community I think it's incredible I think vaccine development for me is always just like wow like this is such a change that is is possible. Um, yeah, and, I, and the other kind of amazing thing is that I found out from one of the amazing nurses there who's called Serge that Freddie Mercury was treated for AIDS in the same hospital where wow. I am I'm like being given this trial, where I'm taking part in the trial. So I have such a love for Freddie Mercury, yeah. as people kind of know. So to hear that was just like wow this is like kind of amazing that I'm like following in his footsteps in a very strange way you know so that was <laughs> really amazing that is amazing and how do you sort of feel after so you've had two two doses of the vaccine so far yeah. how have you felt after it have you had any side effects has it have you been able to sort of feel it yeah I haven't had any side effects whatsoever basically after I'm after I've been given a dose of the vaccine so essentially I'm given a needle injection and then like a pressure injection which is this new form of giving a vaccine which is kind of it's a new technology that's coming out I'm given a dose in each arm and then I need to come into the hospital the next day to do like kind of immediate next checks and then from that point onwards I have to do a diary of how I feel for seven days so that's around like is there any bruising or redness mm-hmm. in the areas do I, how do I feel do I have a fever anything like that which I never have. Everything's been completely fine, which was what like was to be expected. So, yeah, that's how it's worked. But I haven't had any side effects. I've been completely that's fine. Excellent. Which is I great. get like side effects from a flu jab, so that's pretty good. I know, right? It's so and good. I guess why did you sort of choose to take part in the trials initially? So obviously going back over that year. Yeah. What was the thing that made you think, yeah, I really want to do this? My initial motivation to take part in the trial was very much my like it was fueled by my gratitude for the the previous generations who have been most impacted by HIV like I have friends who have told me stories about how they were losing friends all the time back then they were losing loved ones they were losing partners because they didn't know or didn't understand what was happening and there was such a stigma and there still is such a stigma so I wanted to take part to help first of all break the stigma around HIV and also just to show my gratitude for the previous generations who were most impacted and the hope that by me taking part in this would make a small difference and future generations not being affected. That's really amazing. And I think it's definitely, I think a lot of us feel like even if you can do something small, like just do it because it's like you never know the impact that it could have. Um, and I know there's one academic here at the university who is sort of the university's, I'd say, expert on HIV and AIDS that talks about how during the AIDS epidemic, particularly 80s, 90s, was that funerals were the, the social occasions because of how common they were, which is just harrowing to sort of hear. And it's so far removed from how I sort of live my life as a young gay man, particularly in London, um, that it's definitely talking about HIV and AIDS and raising this awareness is definitely so important. Um, yeah, 100%. Like, imagine us, like 
you're, so I'm guessing you're in your twenty. You're in your twenties. Yeah. So we're both in our twenties. Imagine we were living through an age where we are going out every weekend to different bars and clubs as we already do, mm. meeting our pals. But now all of a sudden, the friend that we usually see there every weekend is just not there, and yeah. we are like, imagine that happening all the time. Like to go through that is just so must have just been so hard you know yeah. and I'm so I'm so lucky to not have had to have lived through that but I'm just very grateful for the people who yeah uh, kind of who, who got through that and yeah who um, have just a lot to thank them for now absolutely and it goes back to sort of that representation in TV was It's a Sin which came out two three years ago mm-hmm. um, which I just remember watching being like this is Insane, I think, is probably the only word I can think of. Yeah. But, like, so emotional, but so touching. And having that representation on TV in such an accessible way was an incredible thing for Russell T. Davis. God, bless the man. Yeah, love Russell. And also my friend Peter Hoare, who was also a director on It's a Sin. Um, he's been doing such amazing queer like representation out there. He, um, he also directed, you know, the episode of The Last of Us, episode yes. three? With the gay love story, he did yeah, yeah, that yeah. episode as well, and he's just doing such amazing work. So yeah, I wanted to give him a shout out. He's fun. Um, and something you were talking about is obviously the stigma associated with HIV, and I think there are often so many misconceptions about HIV. And I guess with you you being in these trials, have you had to sort of address any sort of misconceptions about the trials or HIV in general? So many misconceptions. So many. Like that really is that in itself. Like people ask me, like, "Oh, how do you feel about doing the trial?" Like, you're like, it's very, you're so brave for taking part in it. Like, my response is, me taking part in the trial is not mm. the brave part. The brave part or the hard part, I should, I should say, is having to challenge these misconceptions all the time. For example, even me just taking part in the trial, there's a lot of confusion over over my status. For example, people get confused and think oh well, is he trying to cure his own HIV so mm. therefore he's HIV positive no, you couldn't be HIV positive and be a volunteer in this trial that's just the fact so there's that which I get all the time there's also things like I am like living in fear now still that I'm going to get HIV and that this is something that I am personally cons- like this is some sort of personal driven thing which is not either, the reason I'm doing it is for a much wider purpose mm. Um, there's also just misconceptions just generally about HIV and how people with HIV live their life which yeah. Ten Seconds Trust has actually done a lot even for me to teach me and I've, through Ten Seconds Trust I've met so many HIV positive people who are living completely normal normal yeah. lives, doing normal things or amazing things and like HIV is just something that they live with and it's just something that they live, they're, they're undetectable because they're on the medication and they live a normal life and that's it, so those are things which I am, I'm trying to break the stigma on. Mm. Also, even me, myself, as like a, a young guy in his 20s, like you don't necessarily hear someone like me who looks like me speaking about HIV, yeah. but that's the whole reason why I want to do it. That being said, I don't want to take away from voices within the community who maybe have more of a space than I do. I really recognise that. But... I do want to help to break the stigma by being that HIV negative guy in their 20s who's speaking out and trying to raise awareness and break the stigma. Absolutely. And it goes back to that, I guess, just idea of allyship in just different ways. Like being HIV negative means we do have a platform to share things with people who might not be educated. So I know a conversation I've had a lot with, in this case, particularly a lot of straight people, is the idea that you can be undetectable, which is untransmissible, which for so many people is still such a surprise. And I think by just being able to talk about these things and share that is part of the part of the battle. Yeah. Or telling people about prep or things like that can just have such an impact. Yeah, and actually on the prep thing, like I even like it even brought up conversations with my parents because sexual health that's something I'm very open about, but not necessarily with my parents, yeah. as you would imagine. But with me talking so publicly about the trial, like even my parents were like, well, what do you mean you're on PrEP? Like, what's that? So then it became a conversation about why I take PrEP. What is PrEP? And um, that was like great for them even, because it's even just like opening up their eyes of like, oh, wow, okay, this is something that that you do and that didn't, yeah. they didn't know about, you know? 
Um, and also there's misconceptions about the, the trial and the sense that this vaccination would work the same as PrEP. Mm. It doesn't. I know there are PrEP injections out there. This is something completely different. This is something that would create immunity against HIV forever in your body. Yeah. It's not like it's not like a PrEP injection where you need to take it every month or every couple of months or whatever. It's funny talking about parents finding out about PrEP because I was visiting home a few a few months ago, uh, and my dad came up with my bottle of PrEP and was like, "Joe, are these yours? Like, what what is this?" And my dog had managed to just grab the bottle of it out of my bag and oh, run straight no. downstairs. <laughs> And in that moment, I was like, this is hell. Um, but that actually, again, started a really good conversation between me and my dad about, okay, this is what it is. This is why I take it. Um, wasn't necessarily a comfortable conversation, but again, important to have. Exactly. And that's the thing, like, they usually aren't comfortable. Like, usually it is a bit like, oh God, like, we need to talk about this. But I guess that's kind of almost why we need to do it. You know, exactly. you have to have those conversations in order to break the stigma. Exactly. And do you have any advice for listeners, I guess, on what they could do to support either the Terence Hopkins Trust or to promote awareness of sort of HIV in its in its modern sense? I would just encourage people to do their research. I think that's the first thing I would say. Like we all have our sort of preconceived notions about HIV. I know I did, even as a yeah. as a young kid, like as a young teen, growing up learning about gay life I heard things about HIV and I was like oh my god like am I going to die like that's what I thought as a young teenager I've realised that's not the case and I was so so off the mark with that but I would say do your research look at Terence Higgins Trust they have such amazing ambassadors absolutely they have HIV positive pilots boxers soldiers like you name it there are all these amazing aspirational people who are living their life really proudly with with HIV I would encourage anyone who's interested to research them, learn about them, yeah, un, like, unearth any myths about HIV that you may have, and um, yeah, to play your part in breaking the stigma by doing that. Amazing. I guess one of the other things you are quite vocal about is your activism as an individual, which I've, I know I follow you on Instagram, I see quite a lot of. And one of the most recent stories that you shared, quite a personal story, um, was being a victim of a hate crime. And I wonder, just for listeners who might not have heard heard your story, would you mind telling us a bit more about what happened? Yeah, no problem. First of all, I want to just say, like, on this experience that I went through, like, I am a cisgender white man, and there are people out there who experience so much worse mm. than me so much worse but that being said this is something that happened to me so I just want to share that story but I really acknowledge that there that, that people are out there who are experiencing so much worse and naturally that was why I wanted to speak out about this in the first place but essentially what happened to me was one day I had been out for dinner with friends I was going on to I was coming home to, I was getting catching the tube um, at King's Cross tube station I was walking down the escalator and I could hear sort of snig, like um, sniggering behind me I kind of turned my head, I had earphones in, and it was like three guys who were kind of looking at me, sort of like sizing me up a wee bit and kind of just trying to intimidate me a little bit. So I tried to just ignore it and just walked down the tube, walked down the escalator and onto my platform. At that point, I realised they had followed me and they were standing right behind me on the platform. And they then started to kind of try to just intimidate me and were kind of like getting closer and closer to me, trying to almost nudge me as close to the platform edge as possible. Um, we were seeing lots of horrible things. It was a really scary and horrible moment. And um, it really felt like, due to what they were saying, that it was like a threat to like push me onto the tracks. And it was just very horrible. It was, yeah, it was not a nice thing to go through. Um, and I remember as the train was starting to arrive, I then tried to run to the opposite end of the platform to try and get as far away from them as possible before I got on the train, which I did. And then the train set off and I thought, okay, right, I'm all right, I'm I'm safe now. Um, But then as the train stopped at each next stop, I could hear the same guys were, like, running along the platform to, like, try to find the carriage that I had ran to um, until eventually they'd got maybe I think maybe two stops later they arrived at my carriage and they were screaming through the window and through the doors the most horrible 
homophobic slurs I've ever heard in my life, um, the most nasty, horrible stuff. Um, and yeah, they didn't get on the carriage, but by this point, they stayed on the platform. The train took off, and then I was like, okay, they're gone now. But I think, like, weirdly enough, the moment that sticks out the most for me in that experience was there were lots of other people sitting on the carriage with me, and no one even, like, acknowledged that this had happened. They were all just kind of looking at me, like, what what, like, what was that? And I just remember thinking, like, would no one, like, would no one just say, like, are you all right? Or, like, yeah. what happened? Or, are you okay? Or, I'm sorry that happened to you? Or something like that. And I just, no one, no one did. And it just, that always sticks out to me. Like, I get people just like to keep to themselves. But, I don't know. There was just, I just would have, like, appreciated a bit of allyship in that moment. I think that was one of the things that I thought when I first heard the story. It was just whether or not other people on the platform. And it's just something that I can't get my head around. Because it's, you see people on the tube all the time. And, yeah, sure, we all like to ignore each other. But that's when it's Friday at 5pm and it's just busy and you don't want to talk or look at anyone. But when something like this happens, I never understand how people can just watch it and it's yeah especially such a harrowing story like, yeah how did you feel sort of after you got home was safe what was your thought process i remember i phoned my mum when i got off the tube and i just had to say to her like the thing is i try not to share stuff like this with my mum because the reality of being queer like we experience hate crimes it's yeah. not the first time and it probably won't be the last and all of my friends can relate to that yeah. anyone in the community will be able to relate to that so I try not to share those experiences with my parents because I don't want them to worry because at the end of the day I feel strong enough to get through it myself however in that specific moment I really just felt like I needed to talk to someone so I told my mum and I remember my mum was just so upset I remember thinking oh god I probably shouldn't have even told her because I would rather have just like try to process it myself rather than now upset my mum mm. um, but I did talk to my friends about it I just put in the whatsapp group chat with everyone like this just happened to me and everyone reached out and we're so kind and just everyone gets it because we've yeah. all have been through it and that's I guess that's my point I'm trying to make like this is not new for anyone like any gay person will know what I'm talking about they've all experienced these things before I'm not special in that <laughs> in that instance no, but um yeah, I just basically reached out for support, which is not something I, I often do. Um, but yeah, but one thing I didn't do is I didn't report it. Right. And that's something that I do regret. And I would, advise any, I would advise anyone in future, if you were to experience any kind of hate crimes, you have to report it. I think that's definitely something, because it's almost common at this point to have slurs yelled at you across the street or stuff like that happen that it's difficult to, I guess, quantify my head being like, what's, what's the turning point of when it's, it's no longer just daily business and it's something that needs to be reported. So I definitely think, but just urging people to report it no matter what, because I think what the stat is that one in, only one in 10 LGBT hate crimes are reported, which yeah. is shocking in itself. And then... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also not, not just that, the, the Home Office actually released stats earlier this year which showed that hate crimes against LGBT people, against, sorry, queer, against gay people had went down, mm. which I think any gay person would completely disagree and 100%. not make sense around that stat. And the reason is because not enough people are actually reporting the crimes that are happening to them mm. for whatever reason, whether they think it's just, it happens all the time, what am I going to do? They don't really have to go through the trauma of it. Mm. All valid reasons, but we should start to really prioritise like reporting these crimes so that we actually have the most accurate picture of the problem. I mean, because the more accurate picture we have of the problem, the less chance we have of our government being able to ignore it. Absolutely. And I guess why after this happened did you choose to, to speak out about it and share, share this story? I think the reason why I wanted to speak out about it is because I wanted to empower other people to also speak out about what happened to them. I think it's that thing of like, there's just a lot of, I, I, I just, I don't want things like this, what I experienced, just to go under the rug anymore. Like I want to really put a spotlight on these things because until we are having these things spoken about regularly in the media, in the headlines, on social media, with friends, um, it will continue to get ignored and we can't allow 
these things to continue to be swept under the rug, particularly when we have a government who are not don't have our best interests at heart. We kind of have to use our own voices as much as we can. And to be honest, I was conscious about. I was actually really nervous about speaking out about this particular thing because I, I am conscious that people have been through so much worse. But I guess I just want to start the conversation with the hope that the rest of my community picks up the baton and continues it um, and tells their own stories as well. Absolutely. And I know this was sort of, I guess, the was this the beginning of your, your work with Stonewall? Because I know this sort of came out um, at the same sort of time as the, the hate crime stats were released. Yeah, so basically I spoke out about this experience. Um, and the reason, that actually another reason why I did that is because I had been speaking to Stonewall about a partnership with them um, because they were working on a campaign around um, hate crime and I was a part of that and I wanted to help bring awareness to their campaign as well, which it did, which I was really happy about. And essentially their campaign is all around um, a partnership they have with Vodafone for an app called Zoteria. And basically what that app is, is another way of documenting any sort of hate crime or homophobic experience that you may be a part of. Um, if you don't want to go and report it to the police for whatever reason, you're able to document it on the app with the hope that that will continue to create a wider picture of what the problem is. It also allows you to access any sort of support networks you might need off the back of that experience. Um, so it's a really amazing app and really amazing platform that Stonewall, Stonewall are part of. And yeah, I wanted to be a part in like, making people aware of that. Absolutely. And I know I'd heard of the app before. It's actually a student was talking to me about it. Um, and I think it's brilliant. It's a great way to be able to sort of, yeah, capture that sort of information about the severity, the amount of hate crimes in the UK um, without necessarily having to put queer people also in a situation if they're not comfortable around police. Um, so I definitely think it's such an important app to be developed. Um, yeah, and I think, like, unfortunately, we don't have the goodwill of the people in charge right now. So we have to create our own stats and our own sort of tools to protect yeah. ourselves. And this is a great example of us doing that. So that was why I was really passionate about being a part of, of raising awareness for that. And that was why I spoke out about the, the experience that I had. And thank you so much for sharing that, both in general and here today um yes. i know that yeah can't necessarily be easy to talk about but as you said just starting these conversations and getting people to openly share them uh, and it was one of the things you said earlier like the drop in uh, sort of homophobic hate crimes it's not what i was expecting at all because talking to my friends on twitter i've never actually heard of more hate crimes happening yeah and i think it just goes to show that it's definitely down to a lack of reporting um so yeah, thank you again for, for sharing that. You're very welcome. And then one of the last things I wanted to talk about in terms of uh, your activism is that you are very, very vocal in your support for trans rights. And I know you were telling us earlier about that you've partnered with the Transgender Clinic. And I saw, obviously, you attended Trans Pride in London earlier this year. So I was wondering for you, why do you think it is so important to stand up for trans rights? Do you know, I actually... The reason why has always been quite clear to me, but it never it was never more clear until I was at Trans Pride and I, I, I watched something happen and I was a part of something actually happening. I remember I was at Trans Pride, we were standing at Trafalgar Square and there was these guys who were there to cause trouble. They had a camp, had a massive big camera, like in lighting and audio equipment with them. And they were filming some YouTube video and they were going around everyone in the crowd and trying to rail them up. And there was a there was a trans girl standing there on her own with her umbrella in the rain. She just wanted to be a part of the march and just was there minding her own business, had her head down, was she looking at something on her phone, was not not threatening anyone in any way, shape or form. And these guys went straight up to her, shoved a mic in her face, shoved a camera in her face. What are you doing here? Why are you here? Um, who are you? What are you? like just being so so intimidating so threatening to this poor girl and I remember thinking what is going on here I walked over and I pushed the mic out of 
out of her face, pushed the camera away and said, leave her alone, she's standing here on her own. And it, it erupted into a massive sort of nearly physical situation where the girl was really upset, she was terrified of these guys. The guys were then getting really riled up, threatening other people in the crowd. The police were there, not doing very much. And it was just a really horrible experience for people who were just there to try and be a part of something. So I say all that to say, I feel that at the moment, the trans community are so vulnerable. Mm. They are extremely, extremely vulnerable. They are extremely vulnerable. Um, And we have to do our part to protect them because in many cases, they do not have the privilege to protect themselves because they are outnumbered and they are vastly brought like they are being they are outnumbered and they are being targeted disproportionately to like yeah. there's they make up less than one percent of the population way 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 less than one percent of the population yet somehow all the targets are pointed at them so because they're so vulnerable myself as a cis gay white man I need to be there to protect them because, like I said, they don't necessarily always have the privilege um, of being able to do it themselves. So, yeah, I guess that's a long way and a winded way of saying why. But, yeah, does that cover? Does yeah, no, absolutely. And it goes back to so much of what we talked about today is that allyship of using a platform to support others. And I think, for me, it's very similar. Like, I am very vocal throughout work and it's I'm very lucky to work in a place where I'm able to use that and sort of work with a lot of different departments so after the release of the um, hate crime stats for example we were able to work with the comms team here at the university to put out the statement in support of trans rights and sort of show our support and I think that's for me it's being able to do something like even if it's the smallest thing is being able to support the trans community because yeah we've got a government the situation happening here is for the government it's actually not even about trans people it's just that they are conveniently there as a good scapegoat to cover up the real issues that are going on within our government and the trans people are just unfortunately yeah being scapegoated and being targeted and um, that's why I yeah I want to I want to be there to protect that community because yeah they just need it right now I guess Amazing, thank you. And I know we we've spoke briefly before we started recording about your sort of partnership with the transgender clinic. So could you tell us a bit more about that? Yes. So I'm working with the transgender clinic at the moment, um, for an event that's been hosted at Heaven on the thirteenth of December. It's called Live Your Truth, and it's been run by the absolutely amazing um, Jackson Feely. He's such a trans legend. He's doing so much amazing impact work within the community. I'm really excited about that event. Um, I would urge anyone to come along and support. It's essentially a fundraiser and benefit for the trans community to support Transgender Clinic who are doing such amazing work. And um, I'll be there hosting. So that's something that I'm really excited about. Amazing. Thank you. And that brings us to nearly the end of Spill the Tea today. But before we do end, we just have three final quick questions. And the first one is, what would you say is your favourite thing about being queer? Words that I always live by are, your queerness is your superpower. That's something I really strongly feel. I feel like my my queerness has always been my superpower. Actually, to give you a very quick story, I remember one time I was in an office and we were doing a kind of like a team building exercise where we had to write down each person in our teams their superpower and their kryptonite. And I remember everyone um, wrote down for me in the office. They were writing various superpowers, but the kryptonite that everyone wrote was that I was too sassy. And I'll always, it'll always stay with me that everyone thought or tried to say that that was somehow like a weakness of mine. I remember then after that, I decided, I was really upset by it actually because I felt like, what do you mean sassy? Like that just feels a bit coded for something. But I kind of, overcame that feeling and I realised actually my sassiness, who I am, my personality, my queerness is what is what I equate my sassiness to as my superpower, it's not my weakness. So yeah, that's how I feel about that. Absolutely. I know I've done very similar in the office of sort of building just a lot of that diva energy into sort of my own personal brand of just this is this is who I am. 
Um, and it's funny because since I started doing that, I feel like it, a lot more people now lean into it as well. Um, and even will say like, that's something they find really endearing about me or something like that. So completely agree. Yeah. And then moving on, if you could choose three queer icons to have dinner with, who would they be? Oh, wow. Okay. Anyone throughout history? Throughout history, right. Okay, so I'm going to first of all go with Lady Gaga because I absolutely love Lady Gaga and she's just had a real impact in my life, especially in my teenage years, coming out as gay. The next person is probably quite obvious, Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Absolutely love Freddie, again, for the impact that he's had within my community. And I just feel like Freddie and Lady Gaga together would just be an absolutely iconic yeah. duo. Absolutely. Oh, who would be my third one? I'd be tempted to say... Maybe George Michael. Love. Because I love George Michael. He's just... He's so cool. Um, George Michael or Elton John. One of the two. That sounds like a fun dinner party. Sounds quite like, fun, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, that does sound good. Yeah. And then finally, what advice would you give to younger or newer members of the LGBTQ plus community? I guess my advice would be like what I said before. Your queerness is your superpower. Always remember that. Use your queerness to your advantage. Lean into it. Don't fight it, just be yourself. I think that whenever I started to really embrace my queerness and who I am is when I realised in my life and when I started to really accomplish things and started to really feel confident in myself. Um, I think that would be my work, my advice, just, yeah, own your queerness. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dan, for our third episode of Spill the Tea. It's been incredible to speak to you. Thank, thank you. you. For anyone listening that wants to keep up to date with Dan and the HIV vaccine trial, you can find him on Instagram or TikTok at Dan at DanHarryPR. To find out more information about HIV, World AIDS Day and what you can do to help stop HIV transmissions in the UK by 2030, please do check out the Terence Higgins Trust at THTOrgUK. And thank you so much for listening to the latest episode of Spill the Tea with me, your host, Joe Blomfield. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and will join us for our next one, which will be released during LGBT History Month. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share with your friends, family, enemies, or anyone that may be interested in listening. We'll see you next time when we continue to spill the tea.